0: Welcome everyone to the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom. And to start or introduce our guests this week, I wanna read to you their mantra, which I think is incredibly powerful and inspiring. Our guest mantra says, stop praying for a lighter load and start praying for a stronger back. Now, our guest, Dr. Salome Thomas L. has been a teacher and a principal since 1987. He's written best-selling books. Uh, he's been a contributor on The Dr. Oz Show. Uh, he's he's someone who continually aspires people with his presence each and every day. But out of all the things that he's done, I really believe that mantra is something that all of us could lean into. Stop praying for a lighter load and start praying for a stronger back. In our conversation today, we dive into the key to feeling successful every day. Um, what he calls the four c's to school success and then strategies to fight teacher burnout and turnover which is a real problem coming off a pandemic so um, i just want everyone to buckle up dr l is uh, incredibly inspiring and passionate um, and he shares his heart he shares his failures he shares his vision for the future and it was a really really awesome conversation so i hope you'll stay tuned first off thank you so much for being here i'm really excited to talk to you i wish we can make this whole podcast talking about your fascination with NBA basketball and the Sixers, but that may be uh, a later day. So mm-hmm. before uh, we get started, we, we, we want to start with the same question we start with everybody is, who are you and why do you love what you do?
1: Who am I? Um, I'm Salone Thomas L, you know, um, otherwise known as Principal L. Um, I've been a teacher and principal for 34 years. Um, much of my time has been in the Philadelphia school district. And now I've been a principal in Wilmington, Delaware for over 10 years. And um, I just love what I do because I I love making an impact on the lives of young people and adults. As as a kid myself, I was supported by uh, teachers, many of them who did not look like me, but who were there every day saving Private Ryan, helping young kids in urban cities, you know, tough communities, and 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 helping us achieve our dreams, and, that, and they impacted my life in such a tremendous way that I decided that I wanted to use my life to maybe do the same thing, you know, for another young person, and just say to them, "You can be me because I was once you." So I became a teacher, and said, my goal is to help kids get into Penn State and not the State Pen. That became
0: hmm. my goal. That's awesome. Uh- you talked a little bit about your childhood. What 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 was your childhood like? Can you can you describe what your upbringing was like and how that shaped you today?
1: Yeah, um, and that that question probably is very powerful right now because I, I just lost my oldest brother yesterday. I was you know born and raised in the inner city of Philadelphia. My mother raised six boys as a single mom, mm. and um, and I was the next to the youngest child. And I grew up in a you know a public housing project, public housing community. Um, but a, a, a great community, my mother uh, was 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 very focused on making sure that, you know, we understood that education was important. And uh, my older brothers were um, didn't graduate from college, but they were attending school. And my mother just said, one of my children must graduate from college and walked into my third grade class. My third grade teacher was a young white female, not from our community. Um, had every reason to say, I can't focus on your child. I have 20, 25 other students are help. That's not what good teachers do, Dusty. They excellent teachers move ordinary children and do extraordinary things. She worked with my fourth grade teacher, was an older African-American female who had been in our school about 30 or 40 years. We thought she came with our building. She had about <laughs> 10 after-school programs and not one had a title. They were all called, get in here, right? That was the name yeah. of the program. Because she knew to keep us safe, she had to keep us in her presence. Those two ladies helped me to get into a middle magnet school for gifted kids and knew I would struggle, supported me. I went on to high school, became a high school basketball player, Thought so I could skip college and go right to the NBA. My high school teacher says, son, you can't jump over a credit card, so you are not going to the NBA, but you're smart enough to get an MBA. Why don't you go away to college and help support the community? I came back and became a teacher and principal in the same community where I grew up, sir. And that's been a true blessing in itself.
0: So, uh, you know, you put a nice bow on it saying, you know, I came back to be a teacher. That's not an easy decision. I I taught uh, in inner city St. Louis and my wife and I spent most of our career working with uh, inner city schools here in St. Louis. And so, so many families that I worked with and spoke to, their their goal is to uh, raise their kids in a way, and a a lot of them will say it just like this, to get out right? Uh, So you work towards, you know, uh, your college degree, which is a big deal in your family and your community. And you chose to stay, which is ironically uh, the name of a book that you wrote. So why did you choose to stay?
1: I I chose to stay because others made the same decision. For me, I didn't realize it then, sir. But um, when I became a teacher, I really, and as you say, the goal was just to get out, to get out alive. I, um, you know, just to get out and get a job, you know, start a family. But I knew that if I was going to impact my community, that I had to go out and get an education um, and, and, and experience the diversity of the world. And that's what my teachers really pushed me to do. Go out and learn and come back and, and, and help, help your community. You can't improve your community if you don't improve yourself. And, um, and I realized my mother never owned a car. Never had a driver's license. So the first day she ever set foot on the campus of East Strasburg University, where I received my bachelor's degree, was the day I graduated. She had never, she trusted those teachers, mentors who had taken me to school, picked me up, you know, every year. Um, and, and, and that 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 really meant a lot to me. And I I started working in television when I graduated in sports TV when I graduated from college. I was working for a sports cable. Channel and we were covering the 76ers. I was a huge 76ers fan, um, and um, and I went in to talk to some kids in a high school about my job and started talking about how these teachers had impacted my life. And the, you know, the students said, "Well, if these teachers impacted you like that, how come you aren't a teacher?" <laughs> and I'd never thought about that. I was like, "Wow, you know, that they spoke to me from the mouths of babes." And I said, "You know what? I, I need to file. I-, I need to make a difference." You know, because these children, I, I could just—I found my calling. You know, that day with those young people, and I, I quit my job, got a master's degree, and and um, started teaching, and 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 never looked back. And and um, and there have been some tough days, because this work is a ministry. These children will keep you on your toes and on your knees every day. But um, but it, it is truly a blessing to be able to bless others, and I think that's what my goal has been my my entire life is I want to be a blesser and not a stressor for young people. So I, so my goal is to wake up every morning with determination and go to bed each night with satisfaction. And that's knowing that there, we, there will be tough days, but it's good work. It's God's work. So I'm proud of, I wear it as a badge uh, when I make it through those tough days, because I know that um, I'm making a difference in, in my community and also taking that message around the world and spreading the message, the gospel, about the power of educators, the power of of mentors, of coaches, of adults who are making a difference in the lives of our young people.
0: Well, let's let's stay on the the early side. So one, I, I do appreciate two things I just took away from that. One, it's incredibly important to to consistently have a humble heart so that you can listen, uh, especially to kids right out of the mouths of babes. Like there's there's so much to be learned just by listening to kids. Right. And yes, sir. And then waking up a determination, going to bed with satisfaction. I think that's great. I think going back, you know, in our pre-call, just talking through sports with you right before we got here, it is clear that is a passion for you. And it is for me as well, which we, again, I think we need to have that podcast at some point. Um, so you, you go down this path, I'm sure as you get the job with the six years, you're like bragging to your boys, being like, this is amazing. I'm going to do this. We're going to hook you up. Everybody, like you're the guy. And then you're like, and then you all of a sudden you say, I'm, I'm going to teach, right? So I can't imagine that decision was as easy as we just it just sound. But the, the real th- thing I want to know about is what was the first year or two like teaching for you? Because there had to be moments where you're thinking, why did I do this? Uh, or maybe there wasn't, right? Or this is so hard. I don't have it. Tell me a little bit about what that experience was like for you and how you continue to thrive.
1: That first year as a teacher was a rough one. Cause I remember calling my mother, my mother passed away in 2002. She was my life coach, my, she was my everything. I mm-hmm. remember calling my mom and saying, mom, I want to be a teacher. And my mother was a paraprofessional in our school district. And um, and she said, um, just remember, she has the best move you could ever make. She just remember that every teacher is not a parent, but every parent is a teacher. She said, you will have to drive that message home every day and support those parents but I never envisioned how tough it could be on some days. And I just remember saying to myself that I would, I'm not gonna let these kids make me cry, right? So the first day of school that was out, right? I was was like, this is tough work. So I said, all right, my goal is I won't let the kids see me cry. The first week that was over, you know? Um, Because I, because, but what I realized is that there were just some young people who just weren't accustomed to having a male in their environment, in their presence, especially a a young Black male, educated, asking them to follow directions, to sit down, to listen. They didn't know how to respond to that. Um, But also, they were just young people, all behaviors, communication. And the children who need the most love ask for it in the most unloving ways. So once I learned how to embrace the fact that it wasn't the children disrespecting me, it was many of them just didn't know about this one. Discipline is a form of love. And so I had to become strong enough to discipline them and know that they would still love me. They would still like me, even though I was disciplining them. And once I realized that it it became it, it didn't get easier. I just became better at it. So it became my passion. So the teaching was my job. My passion was to get better at it. So, those first couple of years were all about me making connections because I lived in the same community I was from. So, most of those children, I knew their family members. So, they were impressed that someone from the community was working in the school. But they also sometimes saw me as more of a brother and not a father figure. So, that, that helped, but sometimes that would hurt. But once I developed those connections, established those relationships, and then realized, as you pointed out, Parents don't keep their good kids home, right? They send their best to school and say, please do the best you can with them. And once, you know, I was able to connect with those families and the the children started coming home and said, let me tell you about this cool teacher in school. He comes in, he says positive raps, educational raps, and he knows about sports. They love when you know about sports. And I know you probably grew up a Bulls fan, but, you know, being a Sixers fan, we had to brag about Dr. J and Moses Malone and Maurice Cheeks and these guys, but um, but once they saw that you you knew about sports and and that you were in touch with the community and and their culture, then things became to really take off for me and 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 I realized that this was something I know I could do my my entire career.
0: That's awesome. So then, I, I know many of my friends who are principals or colleagues that we work with who are principals. Uh, I would say all of them were really effective teachers. And when you ask them about teaching, they just kind of tear up or they go to a special place when they're communicating like, Oh my God, the classroom is this. And uh, I just miss it. Uh, what, what was it, or how did you decide ultimately to leave the classroom to become a uh, principal? It was a tough
1: decision because I was, um, you know, I was a math teacher and I, and I, and I, I love teaching. High level mathematics to students who struggle, especially special education students, because I always believed that that these were students who struggled. But if we raised the bar for them, that they could become better, you know, better students. And um, I started teaching special education students chess. That's how I started my chess program. And uh, I was teaching them mathematics and started using chess to teach them mathematics. And um, I was teaching in an alternative learning program, teaching elementary and middle school students who were frequently suspended, teaching them algebra in the early grades. Some of them, some of those kids from that alternative program have master's degrees, some are teaching. Um, it's amazing because I knew that if I challenge them, if we challenged them, that they would rise to the level of our expectation. And if you don't challenge kids, you can't change their behavior. We had to challenge them. Um, and then once my chess program became successful, I knew it was something I wanted an entire, my entire school to do. I wanted everybody learning to play chess. And that's when I decided that I wanted to become you know, a principal. So I wanted to become an assistant principal first. And that's how the whole, I choose the story. It's how the book was developed, I choose to stay. Because I started, um, um, you know, just talking about, I, I, I received a, you know, I got my another master's and I studied, um, I actually studied a little bit in, in, in London and Cambridge for my, you know, supervisor and principal certification, came back uh, from a a summer, you know, in Europe and and, um, became a certified administrator. And uh, my principal had gotten a call about me becoming an assistant principal at another school. And he said, oh, I'm very disappointed that you would try to apply to another school. And I said, I didn't apply to another school. And he said, well, the superintendent's office called and they want you to take another job on Monday. It was a Friday. And um, he gave me the phone number and I called the superintendent's chief of staff and I said, I'm turning the job there. I can't leave these kids. I never told them that I was leaving. I appreciate the job offer. I would love to be an administrator. But for many of these young people, I, I may be the only male teacher or administrator that they that they know a male role model. I have to teach them that you don't leave for money. Um, and they said, well, it is a big raise. And I, I said, how much? They said, 20,000. I said, wow, 20,000. Absolutely. But, um, I just said I, I just couldn't do it, and and once the kids and the teachers found out, you know, it, it turned into a forty thousand dollar raise. I turned down a new car, and they and then the kids said, you know, we're thank you, know, we appreciate you choosing to stay here with us. We choose to stay here. We many of us could go to other schools, but we choose to stay here because of adults like you and the other adults. And it's when I realized that, you know, these children, and families, they do have options. They do have choices. They make that choice to allow us to be. You know, a part of their lives. But, you know, a couple years later, um, we had won a national chess championship. Arnold Schwarzenegger came to visit our school, challenged one of my girls in chess. She beat Arnold in chess. And um, and that was when I said, you know what, I think I, I want to become a principal and decided to take over a school one block from our school so I could continue our chess program. So we it was a K-5 school. So we now had a K-8, you know, chess program where I had hundreds of kids playing chess you know, every day, critically thinking, problem solving, learning to see three, four moves ahead, not just on the chessboard, you know, but in life. Those are great life skills, not just for young people, but for adults as well. So I took the leap, but I continued my chess program so I could maintain that connection to teaching because teaching was my passion. Like you say, those other administrators, I know they missed the classroom. It's, it's a tough change. So by continuing the chess program, and then also what I did too was, I was a substitute teacher in my building. So whenever my teachers were out from time to time, I would cover classes and the children do not love seeing the principal come in because, you know, they, they just salivate when they see a substitute coming in the class. They're just, Who's the sub? Who's the sub? Oh, it's principal. L. you know, but it was a way for me to maintain that connection, which was really important.
0: That's great. So tell me a little bit. Uh, and obviously I worry about, uh, open up Pandora's box with you to talk forever about the chess part of this uh, but got, I mean again for those of you who can't see you uh, you've got your two big chess pieces that are beautifully designed right behind you and so obviously chess is a key part of your just life story how did you get introduced to a chess and when did you think you know what what, what kids are missing right now they need chess uh, tell me that story
1: yeah, and, I, and I'll, I'll be real brief because I know you don't have too. you know, people, my, my teachers accuse me of being irreverent. Sometimes they say, Prince, "Well, <laughs> you are the person most likely to hold up a staff meeting every week." So, um, but I, yeah, my, my one of my older brothers taught me to play chess. He, he only taught me enough moves so he could continue to beat me. <laughs> so I had to really learn on my own. And I was in college, and when I graduated college, realized the school that I was working in, in the inner city Philadelphia years ago. I had a uh, had a world-renowned chess program, and I wanted to rebuild the pro- chess program, started teaching those special education students chess, and they were walking around the school carrying chess boards, and And if you don't think, if you don't believe anything else about a kid who plays chess, you assume that they are intelligent, so I learned early on as a teacher that smart is not something you are, it is something that you can become, and these students started playing chess, started beating other schools, uh, going to tournaments and winning, and and, um, and then they won a national title. And I was like, wow, these children, if we work with them, if we teach them that success only comes before work in the dictionary, that these young people will, they will they're will they resilient. Uh, and, and that's the key, when we're teaching resilience, when we're teaching children to become resilient, it's not about teaching them how to be successful. It's about teaching them how to respond when they're not successful. And that applies for adults. I see many professional athletes who just, when they don't win, they don't know how to react. And that's why we see those negative responses because as a young person, they didn't learn to fail. They didn't learn that productive struggle. And that's what chess was able to teach these students. And at my school, Vox Middle School in Philadelphia, these students are eight-time national chess champions, eight national champion chess trophies in that school in an inner city school, beating suburban schools, private schools. And these children travel all over the country, Seattle, Portland, Arizona, Florida, Students from our school even traveled to Yugoslavia to play against a team there. So there's a large uh, achievement gap, but there's also a major exposure gap. And that's that travel allowed us to to give those students that exposure. And it really impacted their lives tremendously. And that, to this day, even my elementary school, I'm a K-8 principal in Wilmington, Delaware. And my students won two two national championships in, in three years. So I truly believe it doesn't matter who you are. Intelligence crosses all racial lines, all religion, economics. It doesn't matter. Gender. You know, most of my great players now, they're female. We were talking about this earlier. You let some young ladies, you let some women get involved in the program, they'll take it over. They'll start winning. You know, it was a girl who beat Arnold Schwarzenegger, and our state chess champion in Delaware was was a young lady. Uh, It's just amazing the power. So I'm going to give women, I'm going to give them some props right now. The oh, I, women are, they, they're powerful. They I, really I, are. And I, it, it humbles me because, you know, we grew up in this world. We think, you know, men are everything. But I'm telling you, you give women an opportunity and they'll show you. You know, I don't know if you in your life have ever been involved in any sports activity with a woman and she just spanked everybody, but they will do it.
0: That's actually my life. My wife is a former college softball player. Um, and wow. she we played on the softball team when we were dating. And she definitely embarrassed me on a, a weekly basis. But the funny story recently is my kids were watching. They love baseball. and they were We live in St. Louis, so baseball's big here. They were watching that movie, The Sandlot. And there's like yeah. this scene where the kids are going back and forth. And one kid sees another. And a kid goes, you hit like a girl. You play baseball like a girl. And my middle son, Noah looks at my wife and I, uh, and he goes, I'll never do that. And my wife looks, I'm that's right. Noah. we taught you the right way. He goes, no, I'll never hit like a girl. And like that started everything. I'm like, by the way, in this household, uh, the woman is the most talented person we know. And so you want to hit like a girl here. So I, I agree with you. Um, and
1: and you know what the most powerful piece on the chessboard is, the queen. The queen. <laughs> <laughs> so, so these young men, but they better get what they better wise up. The queen. That's awesome. The queen is is powerful.
0: Yeah, I think you know as you talk about chess, it's powerful to think through you know how it helps kids uh plan several moves ahead and get into strategy of life. But also to your point, that exposure uh, of getting to see the world and be exposed to all different opportunities is is game changing for so many people. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you do a lot of, and we're going to dive into some of the advice you have for people that uh, are leading schools um, in terms of how do you build the right culture? How do you, how do you go after success in your school? When you came in, uh, when you when you were early on and being a principal, were there any mistakes you made uh, coming in, like being super passionate or was it pretty seamless?
1: No, I, I, I probably made mistakes. Every day at one point in my life as a principal, I felt like I couldn't be right if you erased my left side right It's like <laughs> I just can't I can't get this thing right, but um the best thing for me was having teachers who were patient. I was a young principal I became a principal in, in my mid mid you know mid the late thirties and and um I had so many t- My mother told me when you become a principal, she said because when I wanted to become a principal, I called my mother again. And I said, Mom, I want to be a principal. And she said, You've lost your mind. I said, Why would you say that? She said, Who in the world wants to supervise adults? Who wants to supervise grown people? And I said, Mom, I'm tired of breaking up fights in the cafeteria in my classroom. She said, Don't you know, as a principal, you will break up more fights between your teachers than you ever have in the classroom? She said, But remember, as, if you're going to be a good principal, don't be arrogant. She said, Arrogance is the Achilles heel of the school leader. And I remember my mother, you know, working at school, and she said, when You will go into your first school. There will be teachers who are teaching the children of the children they taught. They've been there for principal, after principal, after principal. She said, bow down to those old ladies and learn from them, don't be arrogant. My first faculty meeting, I just used my conversation with my mom for my first meeting. I forgot to edit out the part about the old lady. So I was in a little trouble my first year, but it was such great advice, wise, sage. You know, my mother taught me leadership is about service. If you don't serve, You can't leave. So I went into that job knowing that it's my job to make sure that they have whatever they need. But there have been certain instances where I didn't always consult my teachers. I wanted to convert my my, my, my elementary students when they went on to middle school, some of them were struggling. They were honor roll students in elementary school, but not doing well in middle school. And I knew part of it was the connections in elementary school. Those students really needed to maintain those connections. So I did some research and saw students in K-8 buildings were much more successful in, in in middle school than they were when they left to go to a middle school, um, and so I decided I wanted to convert our our elementary to a K eight, and didn't consult the teachers first, and um, so I didn't have that buy in, and they they supported it, but it's it's better as a leader if you if you if you guide people if you work with them, um, and then once I learned that that that's the best way. It's for, it's for teachers to know I'm willing to get in and do the same work. That's why I would go in and cover classes, but also your input is valuable. We have experts in our classrooms, in those teaching positions, in those power positions, cafeteria, bus drivers, so many great ideas that as leaders, we have to be open to learning. So that's why my goal is as, as a principal still to this day, 20 plus years as a principal is to build a learning culture and not a teaching culture. Everybody, everybody in our building can learn from one another. We can learn from those young people. So that was one, one of my big mistakes was not understanding that I couldn't learn from others that I'm the leader. I'm the boss. I know everything. No, I, I, once I saw that, that, that um, the, the, rap, the, the rapid growth took place when I had everybody in, in the same boat, when everybody realized we're all passengers, no crew. We're all working together and you have my support and I'm working with you. I was able to really get that boulder, push that boulder and get it moving. And I told my staff that boulder is big and it's heavy. And once it starts moving, it is hard to stop it. But the key is making sure that we are very inclusive um, in those voices, even when they're diverse, even when they disagree, embrace it because the common denominator is the success of our children.
0: Mm. How, how, how many years do you think it took? So you've been a principal for 20 years. How many years do you think it took to uh, really get your feet under you and feel like this is the school that I am so proud to be a part of? Not that you weren't ever proud to be a part of it, but you felt like the the vision you had for your culture, for your staff and your students and your families was all kind of arrows, even if you had some issues, it were all arrows pointing straight ahead. Okay, now the honest answer, so I'll tell you, my TV answer to
1: that is the first couple of years. <laughs> but the honest answer from my heart, it probably took me almost a decade That's really, <laughs> for me to really realize what it took to understand uh, and communicate uh, in, in a purpose-driven way, right? Intentional every day about it. Probably 10 years to realize that the school belongs to the community. And that's, we have to understand that. So everything that we provide uh, really should be for the benefit of the community. When we support those children, we're supporting their families. So I started hosting college courses in the school building. Folks can't get to college, when you come to the school building, I have colleges willing to get courses right in the school building. Get a medical center built right onto the side of the school. You won't go take your child to the doctor when you come in for your IEP meeting, you're coming for your meeting with me because your child is given an aspirin, a headache every day in my classroom. And you come on and go into a stop over and see the dentist, stop over and see the eye doctor, providing those community supports. Now, I'm sure there'll be people who say, well, wow, you know, you're providing everything for them. What are they doing for themselves? No, we're providing access. So, but it gives the chance to be able to teach them what they need. We have to go to where they are and take them to where they need to go. And it took me about 10 years to realize the power of connections, relationships, uh, of building that respect with them and being visible, not only in the school, but in the community as well. So after 10 years, I I was rolling, but the first 10, I was really learning. I was like an apprentice, you know, um, every every year with it.
0: Well, I feel like that's really encouraging because if you look at statistics out there, I think what the average principals, depending on obviously demographics of a district and stuff, but I think it's what, three to four years, maybe they'll stay in uh, a building. And so uh, to just know that someone like you who's having phenomenal success, yeah, there's some things that, you know, pretty early if you could fit or not, but like it, it may take five years to 10 years to really get your feet into it. To, so it's okay to go on that roller coaster ride.
1: Oh yeah, no doubt, and that and it's a struggle. That's why I tell people you can't give up because anything worth it is going to be a struggle. Mm-hmm. So you know, first couple of years were really tough. Once you get into that five year window, you know, you know what? Yeah, I don't have to eat a whole pot and know it tastes good, right? I think I can, okay. I can do this long term. Um, and then you, you, you know, you're at ten years where you know it's just it's it's a part of your blood now. It's just it's what you wake up and you do. And then after that, now you're, you're starting to influence other potential leaders because you yep. have people who've been, you know, because good leaders don't create more followers. Good leaders create other good leaders, you know, and excellent followers become great leaders. So that's what I also try to uh, 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 coach folks around as well is be a good follower. If You see great leadership. Learn from it. Be humble. You know, understand and and be comfortable celebrating the success and greatness of other people. There's nothing wrong with it because you will learn so much and, and learn from my mistakes. What I tell all of my assistant administrators, learn from my mistakes. Any fool can learn from his own mistakes. Learn from the mistakes of others. My APs are tremendous. They're made. These assistant principals around the country are made around the world. They are. They make it happen And my APs. They're my backup. So I tell people when you act up, you see my backup. Right. So, you know, APs, hat, you know, hat, tip, tip my hat to them because they don't always get the credit, yep. but they do a lot of the grunt work. And that's assistant in any role, whether you be at the superintendent level, um, at the building level, wherever you are. Most times the assistant, even those people who assist us in the work, we do. Right. If you have an assistant somewhere, they they make it happen every day. To keep keep you from double booking events and, and programs and. They make it happen. So that's the service, right? Those who serve others are truly making a difference out there.
0: That's great. I said something about success. So I think about a conversation we had recently about, you know, the four C's to school success uh, that you've (laughs) you've got. Can you, I'm fascinated by them and I think they, they really hit both my heart and my head as I think about being back in my schools. Can you share what those four C's are? So the
1: four C's, my four C's of school, when I took over, my first school was a turnaround school. And when I, when I decided I wanted to become a principal, I knew I wanted to be focused. So I couldn't, I couldn't be all over the place, right? I had to find some specific areas I was going to focus on. So I knew that I had to create an environment where every child knew that they had a champion. Uh, Rita Pearson talked about that often, you know, every child needs that advocate, that champion. So my first C is that every child deserves someone crazy about them? We have to be crazy about our kids. Those kids have got to know we're willing to do anything we can to help them become successful, to help them get the support that they need. That's the equity that we desire so much in education and in the world is doing everything we can, giving kids everything they need so that they can find that success that's important in life. So being crazy about kids. The second one, The second one is being curious about the lives of children outside of school. This pandemic has really taught us how important it is for us to know about our children outside of school. Those teachers and those principals and counselors and nurses who knew what children didn't have internet at home, didn't have devices at home, didn't have great meals, who were homeless, who were moving from home to home, couch to couch. They were able to shift right away and provide needed services and support to those families. So being curious, Albert Einstein often talked about curiosity. We need to be building curious schools where children can develop their own curiosity, but our teachers and adults can be curious about the children, the work that they're doing and about their lives outside of school. The third one is consistent adults in the lives of children. These children don't need to come in schools and see a new teacher every year. You know, we had a school here in Philadelphia one year, 52 teacher vacancies in one building's a large middle school. The, you know, that's devastating. And those children take the same state test as children who are in schools with the same teachers for five or 10 years. They need consistent adults. That's why I chose to stay in the early in my career because I knew those students need to see that consistency because often they may not see it in their homes. And that's regardless of what community you live in. Across America, we have a very high divorce rate. We have a large number of children who are living in homes um, without their fathers there. So if they can't find that consistency at home, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm always driving and pushing males to get involved in education. You don't have to be a teacher, just be involved. And then my last one is a strong school culture, a culture of love and support for children. The principal is the prime facilitator of culture in the school. So uh, a strong culture where we're lifting up others through positivity will make a huge difference. And one where teachers feel that they can take risks, that they feel safe, they feel nurtured, but also where they feel celebrated and not tolerated.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, those are amazing. So I think about you got uh, be crazy about kids. I think that's so important. So you, you kind of tease out, do you really love kids? Are you all there for them? And then you go on to being curious about their lives outside of school. Is that right? Is that? Yes, sir. Yes. And sir. So I think that's incredibly important. So you really understand the full picture of the kid, right? Wow. And I'm going to skip to the fourth, just cause I want to revisit the third. So the last one is building that great culture of love and positivity, uh, that consistency piece. One thing that strikes me there is, Um, you know, I, I've been reading a lot of articles lately, uh, where it says that teachers are more burnout than ever. And so in the past, you know, you, you, your schools that you worked with in inner city Philadelphia are similar to the ones my wife and I worked with, uh, in inner city, St. Louis, there's lots of turnover of staff all the time, but I think that turnover could be something that all districts are going to be dealing with now and into the future, as a principal, what advice do you have for a principal to, to fight like crazy to make sure that's not the story of their school?
1: Well, listen, you, you're, you're, you hit a home run with that question because after the pandemic, it's going to be, a, I'm, and, and, and many researchers and, and educators are, are discuss this as well, it's going to be an exodus of teachers. Some felt disrespected. Some didn't feel supported, didn't feel appreciated. So, um, and then some are just tired. Some are uninspired. Mm-hmm. Um, this pandemic really weighed you know, heavily on, 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 on many educators. So you're gonna find many school districts, I see uh, districts reporting that there are superintendents who are retiring at an alarming rate, principals who are retiring, teachers who are retiring. So it becomes very important for school leaders to realize um, that we must retain, the, especially those talented teachers, because there are gonna be other school districts who may be recruiting them. And I'll often say that the best form of recruitment is retention and the best form of retention is recruitment. So make sure that those teachers are feeling appreciated other than teacher appreciation week. Make sure that when, you know, do whatever we can to provide uh, uh, um, the professional and personal development uh, for, those, for those teachers, helping to deal with um, remote learning, the pandemic, uh, but you know sometimes we just will deliver coffee or sandwiches to doors of teachers, just you know hey, listen, put your lunch or take your lunch home, save it for later we we we're, we're gonna do lunch you know for your for you today Or listen, let me I'll cover that class for you 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 take a break um you you, you got a you got a, a elderly parent who's home not doing well, you stay home and take care of parent don't work those are the kinds of things that they stress about you know I got a sick child and I, I gotta take off work you no know, in my building you will get written up for not putting your family first. The family must come first or you're gonna be in my doghouse. So, and, and, and people appreciate that. You don't get any dirty looks from us when you place your family first because you're being a great example role model for our children because they learn about becoming parents from the adults that, that they're around. Children emulate what they see. So when they see that, it's very important. And let's make sure that we go beyond the, 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 the baby showers the wedding showers the birthday parties. Let's celebrate people for the growth that they make. You know, if they're out there getting educated, if they're, um, you know, if they're students, if they've found a way to, to develop a strong culture in the building, let's celebrate that and, and develop a family feeling. Teachers say to me often that they stay in buildings because it feels like a family. They just can't see themselves leaving their family. And so that's always been my goal. And, I, and I, I'm very proud when I hear teachers say we are family. We have church in our school that says we are family on the back because we all We all support each other. We look out for one another. And, and th- it's going to be a tough time in the next year or two. And that's why you know, I just co-authored this book, Retention for Change, because we've got to change our practices in school, the way we develop school cultures, if we're going to prioritize teacher retention and principal retention. We've yep. gotta build those cultures, build schools with parents are knocking the door down to get in and not knocking the door down to get out.
0: That's so true. Uh, one one quote, and I know we're really stretched for time right now, so i got two questions left for you. I um, told you I
1: was a reverend. I love it,
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm in, I, I love it. So uh, you know, one, I really need to ask, cause I just sent a quote that you shared with me and that you obviously have on your website. So anybody could find it. That is perfect for me. I think every day and anybody every day, but I have a close friend who's going through a real tough time right now. And so it was something that hit, hit us at the right time. You know, your quote is stop praying for a lighter, lighter load and start praying for a stronger back. Where did you get that? And why is that, uh, it seems to be a kind of a, the mission statement of your life almost, or just a, a common bit of advice that you give to folks.
1: Yeah, it is a mission statement. It's something I share with every audience um, where I speak. I'm, I'm actually going to be speaking in, 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 in Jordan and Utah this summer, looking forward to it. Um, I'm sure I'll be, you know, in your area at some point, but I share it with every audience um, because to me, my breakthrough was when I when I realized that I had to stop waiting for the job to get easier, that I had to become stronger, that when I had teachers and I had adults working in my building who opposed change, I had to stop viewing as they were opposing me. They, they were resisting the change because it was new. I had to help them to understand that the change was going to impact them in a positive way um, and impact the children. So I had to stop waiting for it to get easier and I had to work harder. Now, I'm not dismissing the fact that there are some days when I just say, hey, listen, I just can't do it right. I'm just I'm not there. I'm not I'm not, not the 100 percent I need to be. So some days I don't have that strong back. Yep. But I also knew that I had to begin to work on my own mental and physical health. So I'm making sure I'm exercising and eating right so I can be strong you know, for those battles. But I think when we when we begin to when we begin to look at the work, the hustle, the grind when we look at it as it's not going to get easy or easier. It's just, I'm going to get stronger. I'm going to get better at dealing with it. Um, I think it kind of helps to ease some of the stress of knowing that I'm, I'm not going through anything. I'm not going to do anything that the principal in California and Florida and New York and Massachusetts and Texas, I'm not going to do anything different than what they're dealing with. Um, we, all, we all are in the foxhole the trenches Together. It's just that I've got to make sure that I, I build the strength, I build that stronger back to be able to, to make it through. Because if I do, I know that on the other side there's a blessing waiting. You know, on, on uh there, there's there are opportunities for growth and for and for children to see that they can become successful because I believed in them until they believed in themselves. And that's my you know, that's really my mission every year when the school year starts. You know, I tell children. I loved you before I ever met you. So there's nothing you can do. You can call me any name you want, right? It's not gonna change how I feel about you because I loved you before you even walked in the school building. And then it lets them know, wow, you love me without exception. You know, you you, 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 you love me without expectation. And that's when they begin, because some they're not taught to love some of them. Some of them won't even let you look them in the eyes because the eyes are the window to the soul. So uh, we have to teach them how to love. And when they do, they love us back. And then they love one another, you know, much more.
0: That's great. I I think uh, when I was going through some really tough years, a few years ago, uh, there's circling back to basketball. So uh, I loved watching Duke basketball growing up. And Jason Williams, now Jay Williams on TV, was just one of the best players I'd seen in a long time. And he was not, I mean, he played high school ball, not too far from me, I think maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, He, uh, you know, after his motorcycle accident where he basically lost his career after winning rookie of the year he said he spent years asking god why me why me and it wasn't until he flipped that paradigm and said why not me i've got all this talent i've got all this determination and grit i was designed for this challenge and so when i when i see your quote of praying for that stronger back i think that's that is so key for all of us no matter if you're a principal educator non-educator like i think that is that is a critical paradigm to have in a view of your life, um, so even as
1: parents, I mean, we're both fathers, we're parents, right? You know, we're husbands. We we know there's some days when I just it's that you just got to have that strong back because Lord knows, you know, these, these children they can test us sometimes. You know, life uh, will test us, but yeah. um, <laughs> we, we, were, we were placed, we were placed in this life for a reason, and that and that's what Jay will. Realize, you know, Johnny Dawkins, was a great Duke player, played for the Sixers, yep. um, Mike Jaminski. So Gene Banks from Philly played basketball <laughs> in Philly, Duke. So, you know, we have some connections, man. We got to talk we're, at some point.
0: We're going to we're going to have a basketball breakdown. I uh, By the way, uh, my roommate from high school uh, on AAU team, Kwame Brown, has made a lot of news this week. So uh, I'm, I'm curious. I, that- I, I,
1: so was Kwame your roommate?
0: He was, he was, yeah. uh, he won't remember me, but, uh, <laughs> that was my, you know, when you have a guy that's that big, you go for years, uh, uh it's a big deal in my life. I'm sure he's like Dustin who, uh, anyways. Yeah, now he was an
1: underachiever. He
0: was an underachiever. Well, um, great yes,
1: great talent, yeah, but I know he dealt with some injuries and whatnot. So.
0: Underachieving and perspective is all about perspective, right? That gentleman mm-hmm. grew up in a, a very poor part of South Southern Georgia and worked his tail off to get to have the opportunity to be drafted first and yes he may not have had mvps or led anybody to a championship right. but he had an eight-year career in the nba and made 64 million dollars and bought a house i mean he'll tell you first thing he's like i i may have failed by the world standards but i am absolutely a success i bought i told my mom at five i was gonna buy her a house and i bought her a house like i, I just it's all about perspective right so anyways, you, you just uh, you just you just
1: actually changed my perspective on his yeah. career because you're right, you got your scent because coming from where he came from, imagine how many people have that opportunity and maximize that the uh, the way he did. So yep. great great education on that. that that's, <laughs> that's that's phenomenal. I mean that's phenomenal because it's the duty of the young to take care of the old, not the old to care for the young. So <laughs> the fact that he could provide for his mother, that in itself is success.
0: I agree. I agree. So anyways, before we let you go, last question. What's on your heart right now, Reverend, Uh, one piece of advice for our listeners on what's one step that we can focus on to create positive change in our lives to be better leaders and better uh, servants of others?
1: I think what what I'd love to see in in, in our country and in this world is I'd love to see us become more understanding and patient of one another. I think we live in a world where we battle so much when we have different viewpoints, But I think we're still more alike than we are different. So what's on my heart is I really want to see us come together and realize that our children are depending on us to create a world that's going to be better for them. That can't happen if we don't create school systems that challenge our students but support them. If we don't create school systems that are able to retain these talented teachers that we have, um, we've got to make sure that that there's so much more love and grace and mercy, and understanding you know, in this world. And this pandemic has taught me about the resilience of teachers and young people. People are talking about this learning loss, but what I'm learning about is that they, they're so strong that no one, a year ago in March, teachers were asked to go home and start teaching. They weren't given a stimulus check or anything. Go home and start teaching, something they've never done before. Children were sent home to start learning. And, um, and we saw we saw the power of connectedness, of, of unity, of everyone working together. So I, um, I just, I believe that there's hope in sight, but I think that in the order, order for us to, to maximize that, we've gotta have more love, more patience, more grace and more mercy, um, you know, for one another and empathy. We're all going, like I said, I'm going through with the principal in Texas, California, Minnesota, Florida, no matter where they are, they all want their students to become successful. They want their students to, to, to realize their dreams. So um, I'm just saying to your audience out there, let's keep fighting for one another. Let's keep working together. And, um, and, and let's realize that, that this world can be a better place if we become united, not untied. The same words, same letters, just spelled differently. You're more united and less untied. But together, we can make a difference.
0: Well, Principal, uh, I, I'm okay with the, the reverend tendencies you have. It's an incredible blessing to just be in this room with you uh, and uh, for everybody to be listening. You have three books that you've co-authored recently, right? Uh, one is called Passionate Leadership. Am I right? Second yes, is sir. Building a Winning Team. And the third is Retention for a Change. And so just real quickly, uh, Retention for a Change, you hit on it a little bit. What is that about? So uh, listeners that are looking for a book to help them right now?
1: So Retention for a Change is really about those strategies uh, for school leaders, um, any administrators, really to motivate, energize, and inspire our school cultures so that we can retain our most talented teachers you know, and administrators. Um, what, what are those things that we can do right in our buildings right now to develop these cultures where people want to be there. When folks leave schools, most time they leave because of the culture or the leadership. So we've gotta make sure that we're creating these these school buildings Um, and and also making sure that we we control the narrative about our schools. Don't let everyone else tell the story. The view of a school from the outside looking in is much different from the inside looking out. Mm -hmm. Let's tell those positive stories on social media, which is huge, which is powerful. Tell the stories of those wonderful children and adults who are in our buildings every day.
0: That's great. Well, uh, thank you for being you. Thank you for coming here, but also thank you for continuing to push forward and uh, share what's on your heart and your mind with so many folks to help us get better as educators. We really appreciate your presence and I look forward to talking to you again very soon. Yes, sir. Thank,
1: thanks for having me. I'm, I'm blessed to know you, and, and just looking forward to growing this world with you
0: and your entire team. I appreciate you. All right, have a good day. You too. Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel, uh, podcasts on Apple or Spotify, and help us celebrate the beautiful, messy work of shaping human potential.